Bye. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Knock Knock High with the Glockenfleckens. I am Dr. Glockenflecken, also known as Will Flannery. I am Lady Glockenflecken, also known as Kristen Flannery. I went with, hey, everybody, instead of... Hi. Hi. Welcome to Knock Knock High. What, what do I usually say? Hello. Welcome. You, oh, hello. I usually say hello. Mm-hmm. That's right. I tried to I tried to mix it up a little bit. We're excited to have you here. Uh, we have, this is a very <laughs> exciting episode for us for a number of different reasons. One, we got two great guests. Yes. Dr. Chris Warsham and Dr. Anupam Jenna. That's right. And uh, you may actually know Dr. Jenna from um, from the Freakonomics MD podcast, podcast That's right. uh, that he did for quite a while. Mm-hmm. And also him and uh, Dr. Warsham are accomplished researchers and Harvard docs. Uh, and um, and they just came out with a, a book recently called Random Acts of Medicine. And right. They, and, and you and Dr. Warsham have a connection that's, that's that exactly. the listeners will have to continue listening. Yes, to we do about. know each other. Mm-hmm. And um, um, and, and the, it was fascinating hearing their approach to research in, mm-hmm. in, in a, a different, totally different way than what I have grown accustomed to research. Well, they have an economics uh, bent. And so it's a, it's a little more social sciencey than your typical medical research. I like it. So, yeah, I yeah, like it. It's really I, interesting. I did like bench research. Yeah. What did you do? I did a phylogenetics of North American bats. Oh, that's right. That was in college, though. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have to do anything in med school? Um, did I have to? No. Did I? Also, no. <laughs> Well, that was a weird way to say no. <laughs> I like dabbled in some research, quote, research projects. Yeah, I remember projects. you had to do something. Yeah, you it know. It was like a it's thing like, at one it's point. Like a thing. Did it go anywhere? No. But, you know, I'm not a researcher. That's why I'm in private practice, Kristen. I know. I can go back and do a research career if you'd like me to. I would to. rather you know. So I, this... mean, I mean, you can do that, but I don't think I will be joining you. <laughs> <laughs> research is only for some people. It's not for others. And I am more than happy to leave it up to the Dr. Warsham and, and Dr. Uh, Jenna's of the world. Yes, they did a great job of it, and it's super interesting and and showing connections between things you would never guess exactly. have connections. But this is also a a a very important episode because we have officially been doing this podcast for a whole year. That's right, one year of Happy knock knock high. Happy anniversary! That's great. That's right. What have you learned over the net over the last fifty two weeks? I've learned a lot about about medicine that I was just fine not knowing before, I've, but now I know. I've learned that we can do a podcast together and still be happy. Yeah. <laughs> We've spent a lot of extra time together over the past year. <laughs> I'm, I'm enjoying it. Are you enjoying it? Yes, I think it's fun. I really like talking to all of the different people from different specialties and areas of medicine or, or sometimes just kind of related to medicine. I think it's been really fascinating, all the different topics that we've got to explore. I have learned that there's no way we could have done this without producers. That is 100% true. <laughs> like, I, I've just, I've learned just what goes into a podcast like, right. to make a successful podcast. And uh, it's a lot of work. There's, there's, there's lots of things. spreadsheets involved. Lots of spreadsheets. Yeah. Uh, and, and schedules. And oh. Um, yeah, uh, just an a lot editing of research and graphics and yeah. sounds. That's right. And words. That's all the things that are in a podcast. I think that's all the things that are contained <laughs> and, within a podcast. And a host. And hosts. Or two. Uh, and so it's a just huge thank you 
to yes. everybody that's helped us I get know, to this producers point. in general, I feel like, are the unsung heroes of the entire entertainment industry. So and props just, to our producers. And just to everybody who's like, who like is working or thinking about some kind of side project, something that you're, you think is going to be fun. Like it's okay. Get yourself to, a producer. It's okay, <laughs> it's okay to ask for help. You don't have to do it all yourself. I think that's important to to point out. And especially for, a, you know, someone like you, that you are seemingly everywhere all the time. And what people don't see is that it's not just you yeah. that is going into making all of that happen. We, there's actually several people behind the scenes uh, doing all of that. Stuff. Definitely. So oh. I think that's important to point out, though, because people compare themselves and especially, you know, people in the medical profession, you guys tend to be perfectionists and kind of the. A lot of you were like the straight A kids and there's all this competition built into the system to make you compete with each other. And I feel like that, you know, it kind of never fully goes away. It's always in there somewhere. So just know, you know, it's not as easy as it looks. Go your own way. Yeah. But uh, but it's okay to have help, you know. It's it's like I just there's no way I could do this on my own. So anyway, should we uh, get to it? Do you have any other thoughts about one year? Um, Are you ready to go for a second year? I am ready to go for a second year. Yes, we're going to we're going to have a new what? <laughs> I'm just kidding, Shanti. <laughs> I'm just, just kidding. I'm we're going to we're going to have a new uh, backdrop soon so people oh, can are. keep an eye out for that. We're moving our moving our our studio here. Yeah, we're just switching rooms in our home. Mm-hmm. No big fancy move exactly. or anything, but you know, our kids want separate rooms. So, now we all have to adjust. Yes, maybe we should save that for the next intro. Yep. So let's get to it, shall we? All right. Here we go. Here is Dr. Chris Warsham and Dr. Anupam Jenna. Today's episode is brought to you by the Nuance Dragon Ambient Experience, or DAX for short. To learn more about how DAX Copilot can help reduce burnout and restore the joy of practicing medicine, stick around after the episode or visit nuance.com slash discover DAX. That's N-U-A-N-C-E dot com slash discover D-A-X. All right, we are here with Dr. Bapu Jenna and Dr. Chris Warsham. Thank you guys uh, for joining us. It's really an honor and a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. So I, I want to start just by oh, we got to address this. Chris and I are we're in the same med school graduating class, weren't That's we? Right. That's right. Um, but you were you were in the year ahead of me, and then and then you joined my year to grad for fourth year. The thing about that fourth year of med school is it's so <laughs> disjointed, right? That we're not like we're hardly together at right. all. So you and I didn't actually have that much overlap. We didn't. We did not have overlap. Uh, it wasn't. Yeah, it was fourth year. So at Dartmouth, they let us uh, split our fourth year into two years, which was is that common? Do you think or no? It's not common. In fact, no. I think they they don't give you as good of a deal on tuition if you do that now. <laughs> I think they learned because yeah. that, that was the thing. Like you could do that and then you only have to pay like a fraction. of. So it's not like you pay an extra year of tuition. Right. You, you just, just got paid like, for the, the parts you were going to class for. Yeah. And interest or whatever. But um, uh, and that was so that you could explore other things. Right. Like research or. Or in my case, I decided on ophthalmology so late that right. I had to do uh, something yeah. else. To yeah. like convince Get, people to let me in. So, what were you doing? Research or stand-up comedy? I, I was I was doing research. <laughs> yeah. yeah, sure. I had some some very uh, strenuous research electives uh-huh. that I did. Also, no, it worked out because we had a baby. Yeah, uh, yeah. 
and um, he one. had a little cancer, you I know, know like so. a, a, just a bit of that. <laughs> yeah. But, but this is, this is great. I'm so glad to have uh, you guys on and, and Chris, you, um, this is a, a good lesson for people. Like, you know, some people, when they graduate med school, they go on to Harvard and mm-hmm. do research and really important things like write books. Mm-hmm. Some of us join TikTok. Yeah. It's it's <laughs> it's just a, a difference, you know, of how, how people do things. <laughs> you came out of the same place. You went different diverging paths after that. That's right. Yeah, You know what, though? I, I do remember. So we had a talent show that year. Oh, no. <laughs> and I, I like on the one hand, I could say, yeah, uh, you know, Will, you did some stand up that uh, let's say your your comedy has matured immensely since then. Mm. But, <laughs> but I'm really in no position, <laughs> no position to uh, crack any jokes because I, I sang in an acapella group in that uh, talent show. So that's probably worse than bombing uh, with a stand up bit. Wait, what, what, was the name <laughs> of the, what was the name of the group? Uh, the dermatones, like uh, probably oh, about right. three quarters oh. of uh, med school singing groups are called the dermatones. Yeah, but we, <laughs> we were one med of them. Med school singing groups. I mean, I can't imagine there are a lot of those. You'd be surprised. It's a huge deal in the <laughs> medical community. You, you no. were like the in sync of the class, right, or something like That's that. That's right. Well, Bapu, you're. I mean, you're no stranger to musical ability. Uh, <laughs> you used to freestyle rap, right? Is that? Uh, I, I I did a long time ago. I retired. <laughs> Or I was, yeah. I was retired from the game. <laughs> uh, and that was on, uh, was, was that MIT? Yeah. You, you were... to, and, and when I was in college, you know, MIT was a very hip place. So um, the standards was low to let people on the radio. <laughs> I was about yeah. to say, do you have a lot of competition? <laughs> no, you just need yeah. to have a pulse above, essentially a pulse above 40. You know. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Well, um, I want to I wanna start by just kind of framing what it is you guys do together. So we're going to talk a lot about your book, uh, Random Acts of Medicine, which is currently on sale, right? Mm-hmm. You can go out and get it right now, this very instant, after you listen to this, for everybody. Sale. not on sale. For, for, for sale. Maybe it's on, on sale. I don't know. Oh, but... That's true. That's true. For sale. <laughs> we don't want to it, it, give it any... It may be both. <laughs> that's right. right. Um, but the, it seems like the genesis of this type, this is very unusual uh, way of looking at uh, things in medicine and healthcare. And Bapu, and, and uh, you've been doing this kind of thing for quite a while, uh, starting with the Freakonomics. Uh, so what was, how did you kind of combine the, this type of looking at economy and and Freakonomics with medicine. What was the origin of, of thinking this way? First of all, I'm not that much older than you guys. I, I know it may sound like I am, but I'm just, just like a, a hair older. Just more accomplished. Just, exactly. I just, <laughs> I just did a lot more in less time. I'm not, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a decade older. Uh, no, so I was, I was at the University of Chicago um, in the early 2000s, and that was uh, Steve Levitt, who was one of the authors of Freakonomics, was there. And uh, he was one of my thesis advisors. And so I kind of got the bug of thinking about the world a little bit like he did. Um, But he was working on lots of interesting questions. Much of it was in in crime and trying to understand whether uh, law enforcement works and and coming up with clever ways to do that. And, uh, you know, I thought that those same types of tools, which were sort of using big data in very clever and creative ways, finding these experiments that were happening to people in the real world, not like at the hand of an investigator who's running a trial, those sorts of things were happening to people in medicine all the time. And I don't think that we were looking at those kinds of questions so much. And so that's sort of how I started down that path. 
What was what was one of the first things that you looked at? Do you remember? Yeah, kind of the, I do really? remember. One was successful and one was not successful. Uh, <laughs> the, the first one, the, I remember the first idea I ever went to, to Steve with was looking at the impact of Viagra on divorce. And <laughs> oh. yeah, I was I was in the, the library at the University of Chicago and was reading Yahoo News. I don't know if anybody reads Yahoo News anymore, but I was reading that. And there was some article about STDs going up in the elderly. And um, then there was an ad for Viagra placed on the side. I don't know if it was targeted towards me or what, what the purpose was, but I was just like, wow. I just kind of two things came to my mind. I was like, well, I wonder whether or not the increase that we're seeing in STD rates in the elderly is because of the introduction of Viagra, which came out like the night, 1990s, late 1990s, I think. And so I looked at that, but it was really hard to do because it was hard to get data on, at that, at that point in time, people who were using Viagra, people who weren't using Viagra, looking later to see whether or not they got divorced. And then the bigger problem is, even if you had that kind of data, recognizing that people who are using Viagra are different than people who are not. And so it's not like a randomized trial where you say to a bunch of couples here, half of you, you know, we're going to introduce Viagra into the relationship and see what happens, and half of you not. But my idea was that Viagra could be destabilizing to the marriage because you had these couples who were sort of on the margins of staying together versus getting divorced. And if Viagra comes around and it, and it could do one of two things. One is it could increase the value of the marriage for reasons that we won't talk about. And the other yeah. is that it could sort of increase the outside options for the, for the, for the man. It could ah, be also yes. for the woman too. Um, and so that's what I thought was going to dominate. But there was some sort of suggested evidence that that was happening, but it never went full throttle. Oh. That was so the first. That was, the, that was my baby. <laughs> okay. So that was, that was the unsuccessful one. Oh, the successful one. Yeah, the successful yeah. You one. Said you're, you yeah. said you're batting 50%, <laughs> exactly. which I, I'm, not, I'm not a researcher, so I feel like 50% is pretty good yeah, for we, research, Chris, right? Yeah, we got about a 5%. Oh, right. All right, the second yeah, we, one. Yeah, we would love a, a batting <laughs> average of 50%. <laughs> the, uh, all right, so the second one was looking at the impact of uh, twins on divorce. And the origin story for that was I had been interested in whether or not children are stabilizing to marriage um, which some people think of, they think of as kids could be the glue of marriage. There's, you know, you Have stay those together. people had kids. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So <laughs> as I was seeing at that point in time, friends of mine starting to have kids, oh, this is not very stabilizing. It looks no. quite opposite. It looks like it's like a hurricane coming through. And so the challenge though, is if you look at couples who have kids or couples who have more kids, they're different than couples who don't. So you can't establish anything about whether or not kids cause good marriages or cause divorce on the basis of that just sort of raw comparison because the, the couples are different. And so my thought was, can we look at couples? This is now looking at it in the 80s, couples who were similar ages, but by chance, one couple had twins and another one didn't. So it's sort of shocking a family with an extra child to see what the effect of that extra child is on the marriage. And, and what we see or what we saw very clearly was that couples with twins uh, were more likely to get divorced. And the effect was larger in couples with twin girls, and then second largest in couples with one girl and one boy, and then in couples with twin boys, it was pretty similar to not having a twin. So there's something about having hmm. a twin girl uh, that was destabilizing to the marriage. I'm not sure what it was, but that was a quote-unquote successful uh, 
idea. We need more though, Bapu. I mean, yeah. come on. Yeah. What is what what's what's going on with the girls? We have yeah. two daughters. Oh, yeah. We would like to know. We have one to one. Yeah. <laughs> you know, my you know, Chris has got you know two two sons, so you're you're sitting pretty. Um, <laughs> so I, uh, am I now? Okay. Yeah. All right. I'm not commenting <laughs> on your marriage. <laughs> so the interesting thing was like that the effect on divorce didn't happen early on. It happened when when the kids were something like you know ten plus years old, which kind of makes sense. Like when it. When, when a baby is a baby, there's no difference between boys and girls, really. The differences in personality right. and everything else start to materialize later on. And that's when we started to see the divorces occurring, not in the first five years, but really sort of years 10 onwards. Um, the other thing that we found was that the, the divorce effect was larger in less educated couples, lower income couples. And so I think what's going on is that you know, having two kids can be stressful. There might be something particular about girls that, at that point in age that is a little bit more challenging, but the effect really is driven among people who, who don't have a lot of resources to mitigate right. all the sort of challenges that you might have to deal with. Um, no, that makes sense. Yeah, so mm. it's sort of an uplifting love story, if you will. But, and, and tell me, <laughs> you you doctors, when does puberty start in girls these days? That's a good question. I have no comment on that. <laughs> yeah, uh -huh. that, one, uh -huh. that one's not for us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Perhaps somewhere around you know ten ish. Yeah, yeah. 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 Just sense. a thought. <laughs> so, but this, uh, so you you just kept you know kept going with this line of kind of investigation, and and Chris, when did you? Uh, you know, get involved in, in all of this? Yeah. So we're coming on, on maybe up on, on five years or so of working together. So I, I had gone through, uh, med school and residency and much of what sort of your work is about is the dysfunction within the healthcare system. And, yeah. and I started taking an interest in like, wait a minute, a lot of this is really messed up and doesn't work particularly well. Um, and so I started on the path of getting into sort of, you know, quality improvement and what can we do on this unit or in the hospital. But as I kept moving um, along in my training and along in my practice, it, it dawned on me that we got to start looking at the, the larger level policies. And so as I was um, doing the research portion of my uh, pulmonary and critical care fellowship, uh, I... Uh, basically went out meeting with a bunch of researchers to see, is there anyone out there who, who can help me learn how to study the healthcare system? And I always, I kind of think of it as like the healthcare system as an organism, right? It, it has its own right. um, pushes and pulls and, and little things that, that make it work and make it get break and, and all of these things that, that, <laughs> that you're well versed in and, and your, your characters that I see on the wall uh, back there are, are all contributing towards. <laughs> yes. So, uh, I, I ended up meeting with Bapu, who you can tell um, is taking a different approach um, to figuring out how the healthcare system works. Um, and he's also t been taking advantage of the data that we have now that just wasn't around, at, at least not in the quantities and the sort of accessibility um, mm -hmm. levels that we have it now. And and so I, I basically um, said, Let's let's learn how to do this together, and we've been working on on things now for for about five years. Yeah, it was, you know, my some of my you mentioned my videos, like some of them make it seem like I know a lot about the healthcare system, but <laughs> but I I had to learn a lot because we don't get a lot of a lot of training, a lot of right. education mm -hmm. about like I didn't know what a what a pharmacy benefit manager was. 
like I, I didn't know what DIR fees are in the pharmacy world. And, and there's so much that, that I had to just figure out on my own, try to find resources. And, um, and, and so it kind of sounds like very similar to, to your approach and, and finding you know, somebody like Bapu where you could kind of combine forces and address some of these things. Um, was that a challenge to, to, like, did you find yourself having to get like a baseline level of knowledge? Like, how did you, how did you get there to where you are now? Uh, I, a lot of it is just getting your hands dirty. Um, and, and saying, you know what, if you were going around the hospital and, and things are happening and you say, wait a minute, this isn't right. Or, or something we, we constantly ask like, well, what if what happened today didn't happen to go the way it did? What if by chance it went a different way? What would have happened? Right? What if um, uh, an example from the book would be, you know, we both have kids born in August. Um, when we go in for their annual checkup, usually the flu shot isn't available. We have to come back and make another appointment. Right? So, mm. you know, this happened to Bapu, same thing happened to me. We said, well, what if our kids happened to have been born a couple of weeks later in September? Then when they came in for the annual checkup, the flu shot would have been available and it would have meant we wouldn't have to make an extra appointment. We wouldn't have to come back to the pediatrician, which is a giant pain in the butt, right? And, and it would be easier to get them vaccinated. And so we just take, that's not, you know, you don't need a lot of training or to, to sort of right. ask yourselves these kinds of questions. Um, it does take some practice to learn how to answer those questions in the data. And that's what Bapu's been doing for a while. That's what I've been doing for a couple of years. Um, and then we can start answering these questions when we have the right data. And so, you know, in this example, we just looked at what are flu vaccination rates when we break it down by birth month of a child, because that's when they go to the doctor. Hmm. And lo and behold, the kids born in the summer, when it's harder, when, when they can't get their flu vaccine, they have to make an additional appointment. Their um, flu vaccination rates are about 12, 13, 14 percentage points lower than kids who are born in October, oh, wow. who come in when there's always an abundant amount of, of flu shots available, and they can just get it at their appointment. Right. So, so most of our studies um, have some sort of like, little story like that, that got us, um, going down a rabbit hole and we go down a lot of rabbit holes and we, we don't, <laughs> we don't always come up with, with a, a diamond in the rough there. Uh, but, but occasionally, you know, we, we have the exact data to answer the questions. We have enough evidence in the data to sort of, um, back up what we think is yeah. happening. Um, and, and those are the, the studies we run with. You keep a, a just a running list of rabbit holes that you want to <laughs> yeah, eventually uh, go down. Literally, that how it works? well, it's a Microsoft Teams page, but yes. <laughs> no, but it's bad though because, for example, like every Chris, like is it correct that every month when we 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 like meet two or three times a week to talk about new ideas, we just like brainstorm, and probably once a month I'll get on the call as I'm driving to play soccer, and I'll say to Chris and the others, I've got this great idea, and I'll start saying it, and it feels like an amazing idea. And Chris will say, Bapu, you just, you said that last, you know, last month and it, it didn't work out and I'll do the same thing every few months. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I'm a September baby. So I was really interested to read. You have a couple September baby findings, but I always enjoyed it because I was one of the oldest kids in my class. And so I was always very small, but I was um, smart. And I think, you know, Part of that, at least, was also because I was, you know, nine months older than than some of the kids, at least in the early years. I think that probably makes a difference. Can you talk about what other things 
happen with September babies versus others? Why should we never have September babies? Or why <laughs> no, should we have September only babies. So September babies? Yeah. But you I'm, want September I'm babies. I'm curious, though. Um, to hell with the August babies. <laughs> yeah, no, that's you don't right. Get, <laughs> never. <laughs> uh, did you feel, though, um, sort of more self... If you were to look back, and it's hard to know, it's like N of one here. But do you right. think that you you develop more self-confidence as a result of just being older and a little bit smarter and faster than your than your peers? I think so. I mean, I th- look, I'm like five, two. And I, at that age, I was like 40 pounds in third grade or something. I mean, I was a tiny kid, so I was never going to be the most athletic. But um, but I did feel like um there there was like some social cachet in being older, right? And then especially like into high school, you'd start to like get your driver's license. So I was one of the first ones to get my driver's license, things like that. Um, I think definitely played a role. With with like intelligence, it's harder because um there's always there's individual differences in that across the board anyway, even if you could control for age. So that one that one's a little bit harder. But I did feel like uh things came easier to me than than to some of the other kids. Yeah. Yeah, I think athletic ability too. You know, because maybe not for you. I was but, say. <laughs> but well, I was a gymnast. I don't know if age has anything to do with gym. I I can't think of how that would affect I, gymnastics. I but 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 you know, because our bodies change so rapidly at that age, and and so you know the 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 strength and the flexibility and athletic ability of someone born in September versus you know well it depends on yeah. when the season February starts right like there's March. that famous study with the hockey january babies yeah, yeah and and I, so i'll let babu fill you in on the medical aspect of this in a second but the, we we actually talk about a number of studies in the book looking at sports um explicitly mm-hmm. so yeah so there's that hockey example that that a lot of people um might have read in like a malcolm gladwell book it's not just there's actually countless examples so um one i really like is in there's a study of professional tennis players in germany um and the the cutoff for tennis is january 1st um and so what they found is that if you look at sort of the very lowest levels of of tennis rankings uh, people their birthdays are kind of mixed as you get to higher and higher levels of the tennis rankings they shift more and more and more towards having birthdays in january february and march um and and the thought there in sports is like well yeah as a young child maybe you're bigger um but you also get put in like you might get better coaching you might get put on a special team um and that just sort of is a self-fulfilling prophecy that the kids who early on have an advantage they continue to reap that benefit um over the over their careers the all the way up to the uh, nhl because i mean there's like a complementarity to it right it's it's not that everybody ends up at the same place i think the point of these studies is that they don't end up at the same place so it means that when when you're young and there are those relative differences that you would expect would go away when you're age 50 they may not because someone's picking up on those they're investing in you in a different way than they might invest in another child and that has an effect on how you develop. Has a ripple effect. Yeah, it has a ripple right. effect. Yeah. One of the the topics since we're since we're talking about sports and like physical activity, um, I was really excited to 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 hear that maybe uh, running a lot is not good for you. Uh, this is <laughs> with regard to marathons. Yes. Exactly. Like, uh, so marathons, I believe they can be harmful to your just overall health, right? Because I mean, that's a lot of running, uh, probably bad for your knees and stuff. But um, what else should we know about potentially, you know, marathons and how they're they function? 
So um, I'll say two things. One is on your point, uh, I wouldn't Make be me feel better about not. Yeah, I, I don't run. I, the only marathons I'm a part of are like Law and Order SVU marathons and Harry Potter. Yeah. Those are the kind of marathons. <laughs> yeah. I mean, let, let's remember the guy who ran the original marathon collapsed and died at the end. Right. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I was not aware. Yeah. So just we'll keep well, that in mind. <laughs> all right. <laughs> That's because he didn't take vitamin C. That's different. That's it's, it's, exactly. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure. You know, so I mean, if you look at people who who are are training for a marathon, it's it's obviously really intense, right? And it wouldn't be surprising to think that that could have a negative effect on the body. If you look, for example, at um, cardiac biomarker measurements in people who just finished a marathon, they're elevated, almost mimicking the pattern of a heart attack. So there's some injury to the heart that happens when you run. So if you look at a bunch of people who are registered to run a marathon. And some people by chance weren't able to, maybe their flight was canceled from wherever they were flying from, or maybe they sprained the ankle the day before. And just again, randomly, they didn't run the marathon. I wouldn't be surprised if you look at hundreds of thousands of those kinds of observations, the people who didn't run the marathon for some random reason might fare better in the short term, maybe six months or a year, because they don't have that just additional injury to the heart that comes from that 26 miles. But the, um, the chapter in the book is about a different sort of effect, and it's based on my wife's story. She was running a race in Boston. She wanted me to watch her on the race route. And so I, I said I was going to do that, but I thought I'll park at the hospital where I work because I had a parking space there, and it was right on the marathon route. So as I'm driving down our main thoroughfare to get to the hospital, I have to turn around because that road is blocked, and it's because the race route was going through that area. And so I go back home an hour or two later, and I see my wife later in the day and I tell her what happens. And she says, well, what happened to everybody that needed to get to Mass General that day? And I was like, I, that's yeah. a really interesting idea. And that was just sort of an offhand comment. But to Chris and Chris's earlier point, it's like when you hear things like that and you start to think about the world like this, I was just like, that's a good idea. And so literally the next day, we started looking at uh, routes of marathons, the major marathons in the U.S. We figured out what zip codes they go through. We looked at data and, and found people who lived in those zip codes, people who lived in the surrounding zip codes. And what we were looking for was any evidence that older Americans were more likely to die because they couldn't get to the hospital on time on the day that a city was hosting a marathon because all the roads were blocked. And that's exactly what we found. If you look on marathon day in a city that hosts a marathon, there's an increase in mortality for people who have heart attacks or their heart stops like cardiac arrest. Um, and there's no quote unquote marathon day effect for anybody in the surrounding towns that aren't affected by the delays. And the last data point we had was that we were able to get data from a subsample of those cities, maybe like three or four cities on actual ambulance transport times. And we can see in the mornings when the roads are closed during the marathon, the ambulances take longer to get to the hospital. And in the evening, there's no more delays. So it is something about delays in care that happen because the roads are being blocked. So that was that was sort of the finding. That's how marathons affect your health, wow. and even if you're not running. See, marathons I would have been are bad so mad you. If, if you hadn't been able to get to the hospital because a bunch of people were running. Like, ugh. <laughs> well, I just... I'm so I'm so impressed by just, how, like, how, you're, how you guys, how your brain works. Like, I, I would never... Like, hearing that, you know, from your wife would be like... Yeah, what would you what would your reaction? Wait, wait, my reaction no, everything everything your wife says is important. Next question. No, no, I know, I know. No, no. My my reaction to hearing that story would be like, 
oh, I should make a skit about uh, a marathon doctor and how they can't, you know, it's like, uh, I would not think, oh, maybe we can study this. I guess that's the difference between me and like a a researcher, you know, that's why. But to be fair, I'm never, I have never more (laughs) like secure in my decision not to pursue research than in this moment. The the thing is, you know, Bobby's a smart guy, but we also practice, like we practice this. We, this is why we meet and have meetings like this where we spitball ideas a couple, like for 60 minutes a couple times a week how does that work what are those meetings like well, that's fun tell me about uh, that i mean some are some are more fun than others but but it's really just you know we it, so we have people ranging from we've had high school students um stop by our meetings all the way up to sort of seasoned professors of of medicine um like the uh, elderly dr jenna here and um <laughs> <laughs> oh, and, goodie. And, and it's just one of these, like, there's no idea that's too stupid. We have discussed some of the stupidest things you could imagine. And just once you're talking about it, um, yeah. we build off of one another. Um, we all have sort of different perspectives on things. We we might know sort of, oh, we could use this data. If we were going to use this data, how would we look at it? And most of the things we talk about go nowhere. Um, or most of the yeah. things we talk about rely on um, us trying to like get somebody to give us some data that we will never ever get because it's proprietary or something. But once, you know, maybe five or 10% of our ideas, we can actually go through and look at the data. Um, and and then a, a subset of those, we, we actually have really high quality evidence of, of what we're looking at. And, and those are the the ones that, that we publish and, and talk about. What's one of the craziest ideas you've had that, that did not work out? Like what are we talking? Craziest. What? What's what? Give us a rabbit hole that yeah. that uh, is. That uh, I'll, I'll give you one, you Chris. Time. I'll give you a moment to think because I I I have one that just came to mind, which is okay. uh, we and we wrote about it I think in our Substack a couple months ago was uh, when Ashley Madison. Um, I don't know how much you know about the website. But oh, that's the cheating website. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Is that right? Cheating website. Yeah, look, opportunity searching website is I think the way they frame it. Like, yeah. <laughs> so people searching for opportunities in all the wrong places. <laughs> so there was this big data breach, and I remember hearing about it, and I was like, first of all, I would love to be able to scrape this data to figure out who's there and see if we could link it to other things. Um, but uh, that was difficult. Uh, but I thought, what, I was the, like, what, did the, what did the IRB think of yeah, that? Yeah, exactly. They, they <laughs> do, we, we, we didn't run that one by there, no. <laughs> um, but I was like, you know, that was a huge data breach. And so I, I was thinking, I was like, you know, could it be the case that you would see an increase in heart attacks in, you know, middle-aged men who might be the, the demographic that was using that? And so we basically looked to see whether or not there's an increase in heart attacks when that data breach happened. And we didn't see anything. But that's sort of like, <laughs> I mean, we have all sorts of like wild ideas like that, which they're not that hard yeah. to investigate. It's a few hours of time. If they hit, they're great. But, you know, we can cut bait pretty quickly and say, okay, there's nothing here. Yeah, we had yeah. another one. So I've always just enjoyed watching like stand-up comedy. I remember when I was like a teenager and I, I saw Robin Williams live on Broadway, um, like on DVD or something. And I was hooked. And, and I've always just sort of like watched stand-up comedy as like a, it's it feels good, right? Obviously, you're laughing, but but there's a lot of like empathy that you connect with with comedians, as I'm sure you guys are aware. Um, and so I was thinking, well, you know, we have now these like big comedy specials that come out on Netflix that like millions of people watch the day it comes out. So uh, we were curious, uh, like, are those 
is laughter the best medicine, right? Like, is are people watching these specials? And because when it comes to like, if you're depressed, or if you have some other health condition, right, when that comedy special gets released on Netflix is random, as far as your your health is concerned, right? So it's this randomly timed event, wanted to see, uh, you know, were uh, mental health outcomes better shortly after these comedy specials came out on Netflix. We didn't find anything, but um, no matter how many times I email Netflix, they don't ever want to share their data. <laughs> sure. So if, if anyone's hey, listening. <laughs> hey, if you want to do that same thing, but do Glockenflecken skits, yes. I'll give ah, you all the data exactly. you want. There, there we go. So, you may not want to know the answer. I, know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, that, that's, uh, I, yeah, I just can imagine the... <laughs> I, w- I wish I could just be a fly on the wall and and like uh, the meetings with the IRB, honestly, because like you, like to to come to uh, to with with these ideas, um, it's it's fascinating, and I think it's really cool too because now we can get data from so many different places and so many different formats. It, like data has never been more easy to access, right? So it makes sense to be like just looking at what anything anything you can like to see if there's something there yeah we got our hands on some data from the florida highway patrol um <laughs> this was actually was the it? first project i worked on with bapu to sort of set the tone uh but so we <laughs> we had this florida highway patrol data and we we linked it up with a physician database to look at doctors who were getting speeding tickets in florida and we were trying to figure out which specialties were speeding what kinds of cars they were driving? Um, so any guesses? As, this is sounding like one of yeah. Your so kids any already. guesses yeah. as to which specialty was racking up the most tickets for excessive speed? So like I think emergency. No, no, mis- oh. misdemeanor levels of speed speeding. Like I think twenty plus miles per hour of the limit. I would think emergency. Um, I would I would say uh, some surgeons of specialties, uh, maybe even cardiology. I throw cardiology in there. All right. So the answer uh, to that one is the psychiatrists. What? Whoa. Really? So now, 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 what about who was driving? Who was most likely to be driving a luxury car when they got pulled over for speeding? That one, <laughs> that, that one goes to the cardiologist. The cardiologist. Okay. All right. Yeah, that makes well, sense. Well, and speaking of cardiologists, we're not going to, they're not going to be very happy with this after this episode. You have another finding about cardiology that you write well, in your well, book. Can you tell us well, about Well, before we get to that, oh. I have one more follow up question about the car, about the oh, okay, speeding okay. thing. So, how did you, how did you find out the specialties? They matched it up with the physician database. Yeah. So, you have, oh, okay. yeah. So, you could, we could match by name. One of us pays yeah. attention. Uh, well, you could <laughs> match, you could match them on name and region. And right, there's going to, there, there might be a handful um, where, where yeah. there's like two people by the same name living in the same place. Um, but but also that's going to happen somewhat randomly too. So it doesn't actually bias our results all that much. Um, so yeah, gotcha. it's just a, linking them up. Like a lot of this data is it, out there. Was it hard to get that in, that data or did you have to uh, have... Anything's like, possible uh, in the state of yeah, Florida. S- some, someone, <laughs> someone, no rules. No rules. So no rules. someone had done a freedom of information request for it for another project uh, and then we re we repurpose it gotcha yeah. okay how is ai kind of is it making more things possible for you guys like is it does it speed things up for you or do you still have to do everything yourselves uh, i'm actually an ai because some I'm of these AI ideas bot, sound right? ai generated to be honest <laughs> uh no we don't uh we actually we we still do we do it the uh the old-fashioned way yeah yeah 
But I, I will say two things. One is um, <laughs> I do ask ChatGPT. I'm like, you know, I'll ask it for ideas. It's like, all right, if you wanted to do yeah. this, how would you do it? And the ideas it comes up with are not, they're not actually bad. And they're, they're useful to sort of be a, a starting point. Flowing. But like just yeah. to give you an example, as Chris is telling you this story about the Florida data, when we're in an idea meeting, we're just kind of thinking off the spot. And the first thing I thought about just now is, you know, we have the data linked on who's getting a ticket. And we know when they're, we know, we know the day that they're getting pulled over and getting a ticket. You could see, for example, surgeries that are performed by surgeons on the day they get a ticket versus the days before and the days after. Because if you're driving the office, if we know, if we know, for example, that the timestamp is in the morning and we know from the, the administrative Mm -hmm. health data that we use that you were performing operations during the day, like you weren't on call, we know that those happened after you were pulled over. So is that enough of a distracting event? that we see worse outcomes that day compared to the days before. That's not a bad idea, right? For off the, right. you, know, on the you know, like three out of 10. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's good. I'd also be interested in knowing which specialties are more likely to get let off with a warning. Ooh. Yes, that's a great, yeah. So <laughs> the, the, the challenge period. there is that the, a lot of times warnings don't get documented. So we don't, oh, we really? don't know. Okay. No, but the way yeah. that you could do that, Will, is like, so people have looked at racial bias and policing and mm-hmm. they use they use sort of the idea that um, if you're right around like nine or ten miles, like you're, if you're at nine, the officer might put you over if they want to give you a ticket. If you're, mm-hmm. or they might round down. So they look at sort of rounding behavior in the speeding ticket citations to get a sense of who might be exhibiting some bias in policing. So you could do the same sort of thing with certain specialties to see if there's certain sort of uh, peculiarities in the distribution of speeding tickets, yeah. like where they're getting ticketed at what oh. speed that would indicate that some people are sort of being let off a little bit easier, a little bit more See, lenient. Right. This is why he's the Harvard guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm older. I'm older. <laughs> older and wiser. All right, okay. But no, we got to circle back to the cardiology yeah, let's, thing. Let's take a quick break and then we'll come back. And okay. Do that. All right. We are back with uh, Dr. Jenna and Dr. Worsham. Uh, so we were just talking about uh, how cardiologists uh, are some of the ones that speed, but only. Uh, no, no, they're not speeders. Oh, they're, they're, the, they're the luxury cars. They're the luxury car speeders. Yeah. Nope. Just just drivers. Just drivers. No, no. They're, they're <laughs> the luxury car speeders. And it's the, they're, they're oh, they are? Okay. It's the, yeah, yeah. the psychiatrists <laughs> are the extreme speeders. Right. That's right. Uh, but yeah, go ahead. There was. You had a question about the cardiologist. Yeah, the, I was just going to say they're not very—they're not going to be very happy with us after this episode. But um, in addition to luxury car speeding, you have another finding about uh, cardiologists. So could you tell us about that? Yes. Um, yeah, the cardiologists don't like this paper. But uh, a few years ago, uh, we looked at what happens to patients who have heart problems during the dates when cardiologists are out of town at big meetings, like they go to the American Heart Association, American College of Cardiology, use these big national meetings, and cardiologists will often leave town to attend for a lot of different reasons. And uh, so we looked at what happens if you're a patient who has an acute cardiac emergency by chance during the dates of one of these meetings, what happens to you? And I thought that you would do worse. And I thought you'd do worse because I said, okay, the staffing is going to be lower. Maybe the quality of the doctors who remain behind is not as high as the people who are sort of the premier doctors who left to go to these meetings. And we actually find the opposite. We find that uh, mortality falls for people who are admitted to the hospital during the dates of those meetings. So there's something 
about the care that's provided during the dates of those meetings, it actually leads to better outcomes, not worse. And the other piece of information that's important is that we find that rates of certain procedures fall by about 30% during the dates of the meetings. So there is some indication that less is being done for people, for patients, during the dates of these meetings, and somehow they're doing better, which is sort of a paradoxical finding. It's not sort of something you might want right. to hear as a cardiologist. Right. Maybe fewer surgical complications or some. Do we have any idea, like, why they're not dying? Yeah. What do you I, think? I think what's going on is, so yeah, there, there, is, there is that, right? So any sort of procedure always entails some short-term risk but long-term benefit. So you might think that if, if you're doing 30% fewer procedures in that few days after the procedure where there's always some risk, maybe you're just shaving off some deaths that way. And, but we actually find it's not just that. These are sort of, we find these long-term effects. Um, so it's not, it's not only a short-term thing that we find. I think what's going on is it's just the appropriateness of who's getting the procedure. And the story I'll, I'll give you is imagine you've got two people. One's a 40-year-old guy who has no medical problems and he just smokes, that's all. And he's working at a construction site one day, he has chest pain, and he gets taken to the emergency department. And they do some tests, and they figure out he has a heart attack, he gets a stent in his heart, arteries, and he lives a long, happy life. The second person is a nine-year-old woman who's got 10 different medical problems, she lives in a nursing home, and she has the exact same chest pain as that first guy. She gets brought to the emergency room, they do the same lab tests, do the same EKG, and it looks exactly the same as the first guy. So they say she has a heart attack. And what do they do? They say, we're, we're going to intervene on her. We're going to open up her, her, her arteries. And they do that. But then she has a complication from that procedure and dies you know, a couple of weeks later. That kind of story, I think, resonates with most people. You don't have to be in medicine to, 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 to see how that could occur. So I think it's just sort of like that risk-benefit trade-off is being done differently in non-meeting days of the year versus on meeting days where you're just sort of, they might be a little bit more cautious about who they intervene on. And that right. could be harmful, but it might be helpful. And what did the what did the cardiologists think whenever this came out? Uh, I think what did the president of the age fake news? <laughs> the, was, the, the, yeah, yeah. That, that was that 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 was the abbreviated <laughs> version. There <Yeah>. was <clears throat> mixed reactions. The PG version. Sure. <laughs> what happens when all the ophthalmologists are out of town? Well, see, that's it's funny you should say that because that that's a that's a common joke, right? <laughs> like, oh, all the emergency doctors are in Vegas or whatever. Like, you better not have an emergency. Same thing with eyeballs. Like, you know, well, who's going to take care of the open globe? So it's like they can all wait till Monday. That's what we've learned. Well, yes, I mean that's ideally <laughs> they would, but. Um, <laughs> And so, but now that like they're actually studying, you could do this in so many different like areas of, of medicine, right? Be, yeah, with all these can, national by meetings the way, it's, going it's, on. It can wait till Monday, but it can wait till Tuesday if it's a three-day weekend. Is that correct? That's Yes. That's medically yes, correct. Yes, of course. Yeah. You whatever, mean, the, across, whatever the next clinic day is. Yeah, whatever the next <laughs> clinic day is, yeah. Exactly. But you could Chris, do this really, why, why did why did you not go into ophthalmology? I like, did, come on, man. Like, I'm it not, was right there. I, he, I don't have the patience for the little... <laughs> So small, <laughs> little tiny things. Yeah. I have I have like a handful of procedures I do. the 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 you know the the jugular vein is way bigger a target than right. whatever you're yeah. doing. <sighs> that's you can't see that thing though. I don't know. That seems really hard. Um, so what's 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 uh what else is kind of just what are you ruminating on? Do you have any new studies? Anything you're you're interested in that's coming down the pike? 
or do we have to wait till your oh, next no. meeting Chris, together? Yeah. Chris, go ahead, share. You can. We've, we're, well, we're, we're actively working on some interesting stuff now. Yeah. So we are. Um, one thing we're working on right now is uh, to try to figure out. Uh, remember, we had talked about the birth dates and the flu shots that being sort of a. Um, a randomizing event to sort of how easy it is for you to get your flu shot. Uh, but we also can say, well, it's also a randomizing event as to when you get your flu shot. And so we hear all the time that the kind of, it's recommended that you get your flu shot in October. Um, but we don't actually, there's not like randomized controlled trials saying you get randomized to September, you get randomized to October, you get randomized to November, blah, 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 to determine that. And so one thing we're, we're looking into is to, to try to take advantage of that random birthday effect on the timing of influenza. Hmm. Um, let's see, what else do we're oh, yeah, working but, on? But, like, so what do you want to tell me what we find? Um, well, yeah, so so we're, in the, we're, in, we're working on this right now, but what we find is that uh, the patients who are born in October tend to not surprisingly get vaccinated a little bit earlier than people born in December and a little bit later than people born in like August. Um, so not only were these kids most likely to get the flu shot in the first place, but they also are the least likely to get the flu among all the kids who got vaccinated. So something really special about oh, these October kids um, are they are they are the best, they get the best outcomes for flu every year, these young children. Um, You're an October kid. I'm an October Congratulations. kid. Congratulations. Yeah. I know. <laughs> I keep saying, I keep saying it's, and you're September. Yeah, it's so, so bad. Okay. I'm July. But, you know, I'm screwed. Not quite as oh, good. you're oh, screwed. You're, yeah, sorry. I'm, I'm so amazed you're still alive. I'm, I'm still I, here, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's just, that's fast. And how big is your team? Is it just you two doing all of this? Or oh, like, you gotta have a bunch of undergrads. You gotta have like, there's gotta be a lot of med students that are dying for a publication that uh, you guys can help out with. So it is. A, it? It's a small operation. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. we yeah. have this is Chris, myself, and we have an RA, Charlie. I mean, it's, we're sort of the core group. Dave Crone is a surgery resident. I'd say probably four of us, or the five of us, maybe. Yeah, but we also we collaborate with a lot of people um, who have expertise yeah. in in things that we don't know a lot about. But we will put in the effort into thinking like, well, how can we use the data in a creative way to to answer a question and then get sort of a, a consult from somebody else? So like, uh, you should put that into AI. Like, say so and so does this, we do this. Create ten mashups of like. <laughs> Research yeah. questions. We well, can do. so we we did the study collaborating with um, economists who who are really um, good at using data about the weather. Uh, huh. That's like not like very detailed data. Um, this, uh, economist Eric Zhao at uh, the University of Michigan, and we had heard. So there was back in 2016, there was this big outbreak of asthma in Melbourne, Australia, where there was this thunderstorm and then like thousands of people in the span of a couple hours had asthma attacks and it completely overwhelmed their healthcare system. It was this big thing. They now have like thunderstorm asthma alerts set up in that part of Whoa. Australia. So we were thinking, well, this this is a little bit strange, and we hear people talking about thunderstorm asthma. We wanted to take a look at it. Um, so teaming up with 
weather specialized economist who he he was able to use this data from the lightning detection network. Literally every lightning strike that happens in the United States is recorded like for decades. Um, and so we could look, this is when and where lightning struck. Could we look at people getting asthma attacks or COPD exacerbations after lightning strikes there? And what we found was that actually what was happening was that people tended to get the most sick in the day before a thunderstorm than actually the day of or the day after the thunderstorm. And the reason for that yeah, is the probably- The wind is blowing through. Yeah, exactly. So so the the pollutants and humidity and air temperatures all rise right before the storm. And then the winds from the storm clear all that out and you're left with better air after the storm. So most of the time, huh. that's what's driving breathing problems from a storm. But every once in a while, you get these perfect storms like happen in Australia where they think what's happening is the winds are blowing pollen in and making everybody really sick. Hmm. See, I this is interesting. <laughs> like if I, it, I'm just thinking like if, if I would have been exposed to like these types of questions mm -hmm. as like a, a, a pre-med med student, yeah. I'd have been like, oh, hell yeah, research. Let's do it. Like Until I, be... you got to what it takes to do <laughs> okay, that research. Maybe, maybe... When you sat down at that desk as the RA, <laughs> I promise you, you would not have stuck around. <laughs> yeah. Just trying to envision a world in which I'm not a private practice ophthalmologist. <laughs> and instead, I have a, a robust research career in medicine. I cannot envision that world. Mm -mm. <laughs> well, I, I want to uh, talk uh, certainly about your about the book that you guys have, have uh, put out together, Random Acts of Medicine. And so, um, kind of take me through the the origin of this book. What what made you want to put this together, and and what do you hope people get out of this? So the book, I mean, we struggled actually a lot with just the title, um, but the the title actually says it all. It's these, the book is really about these random acts of medicine. So the marathon story is a good example. You happen to live close to a marathon, and by chance have a heart attack when the marathon is being run that day. It could have happened. You could have had a heart attack on any other day. But it happened on that day, and that in fact affected the course of your life. Uh, maybe even led you to die earlier than you otherwise would have died. And so we talk about how there's all these sort of random things that affect our health. And it's not surprising to people when you think about randomness, right? Some people have cancer who didn't have any risk factors for it. Some people might be hit by a car. All sorts of things happen. Um, and those are things that we can't predict. You know, in hindsight, it's hard to mm -hmm. predict. Why is it that someone got hit by a car when they're walking outside? It's totally random, but there's nothing you can do about that. Um, in, in all of our studies, there is this component of randomness, but there's also something that we can learn about it, about the healthcare system or our healthcare. And probably from the marathon study, it teaches us that time matters a lot in medicine. And you know, we were talking about delays of ambulances on the order of a few minutes on average. And I don't know that people would think that a few minutes would be life or death um, um, if you've had a cardiac arrest, that's already a really severe place to be. And nonetheless, we find that is the case. So all these studies, all of the chapters in the book are about different things that affect us in sort of random ways. We can't predict them when we're kind of looking at the world, but in hindsight, they kind of make sense. And they teach us something about how the world works. And, you know, we argue how to make medicine better, at least in some places. Yeah. And we, we also talk about a, a lot about sort of you know, healthcare is this, it's a human endeavor. And with that comes all the messiness and imperfections. Um, the, a lot of the random acts of medicine we talk about are ones that are brought on by 
cognitive biases where, you know, we think like someone who's 39 years old is a, is a young person and someone who's 40 is, you know, middle-aged and at risk for a heart attack, right? That's, that's random, but it's also telling us something about how doctors think, um, how patients might think, anybody in the healthcare system thinks. So we look at a lot of the sort of human aspects of the healthcare system and, and as sort of problematic and messy as it is. Um, it's also, we, we talk a lot about how it's our humanity that what is what allows us to do our jobs. So it allows us to take care of any, any patient and understand their unique complexities. And so we, we really look at the data to say, all right, this is what it's telling us about the healthcare system. Here's some ways we can improve it. Um, and here's some explanations as to why things might be in, in certain situations, why things are the way they are. Hmm. That's really interesting. It really is. Yeah. It's a random acts of medicine, the hidden forces that sway doctors impact patients and shape our health. You can find that anywhere books are sold. Uh, you also have a Substack, right? I know you mentioned that uh, randomactsofmedicine.com. Yep. Awesome. I, I've got to check that. I want to read more about these these rabbit holes. We've we got to come down. up yeah. with the, uh, the eye related idea. Anything. It, well, you uh, should, we don't say that. Idea. Come on. <laughs> some... Did you get that? <laughs> wait, wait, say it again. <laughs> I said an idea. Idea. Yeah. She's the I pun person of the of the. So here's an idea. Do you, you get a lot of like eye trauma from fireworks? Is that? Am I? Uh, oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a common one. Eyes and hands. Yeah. You know. So I'm and I would imagine if you sort of plotted out eye trauma by day of the year, there'd be a little spike on January first oh, yeah. and one on July fourth, maybe. There so should be. I'd be curious. You know what you could do is you could look at you know if a state sort of implemented a fireworks ban, right? That the year before oh, yeah. versus the year after. And you can sort of estimate exactly how many um, eye problems are being caused by those those fireworks. Mm. That's a good one. I bet if yeah. we tried harder, we could come up with a better I one. Know. Let me ask you, I just had a random idea. Uh, do you think Warby Parker has affected anything? Because the glasses Ooh. are like really stylish. Do you think more people wear glasses now than would have I worn think, them? I think they, yes. I, I do think that it's trendy to wear glasses now. I thought you were going to say, um, does it hurt uh business like the because it's all online right oh, most yeah. part warby parker is like does that hurt like a brick and mortar businesses but that's actually i i do think that's true i think glasses you know it for a long time it's it was you know kids didn't want to have glasses right there it it, it was they get made fun of it would you know for years and years that was it was kind of like oh it's it's nerdy to wear glasses but now, really starting in when I was in residency is when I first started seeing it, you'd have like kids that would get disappointed when you tell them you don't need glasses. Uh, and so I, I do think it's, it's you know, uh, in fashion and vogue, I don't, I don't know what the terminology is, but you know. <laughs> Glasses are in now. Do right. I does that Trendy. sound do I sound natural? Well, nope. But does that nope. does that also correlate with a reduction in contact lens related problems? Ooh, less pseudomonas. I uh, I mean, you would think so because um, you know the more time you're wearing glasses, obviously, the less time you're wearing contacts. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I would love to. Anything you can do to 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 make people be more responsible with contact lens wear, <laughs> I will I will give you cold hard cash. You should look at. Well, I don't think you could probably have the data for this, but like the I I wonder whether the invention of electricity led to more eye problems 
Well, what do you have in mind? Oh, because because go because of uh, screen time or nope. That's why I said electricity, not technology, like not not devices and stuff or the internet. Yeah. Why? I want to see if they can think okay, of anything. Okay, so the innovation of electricity. Um, yes. So because I probably. Like, I mean, so I was I was thinking I was thinking light, but yeah. I would have thought light would have made things. So. Did, worse did, because you did, would be or, or better rather not worse but it's not right. did it's not, original not light. light bulbs not have ultraviolet protection or something you could get cataracts oh i don't know yeah. uh, i think you're stumped us give yeah. us a, give us like another hint well you can do a lot of of different things with electricity than you can do without it and so it will affect where you spend your time oh more time indoors you're saying yeah mm-hmm. indoors so less. So you think it makes it makes your vision worse? Yeah, because isn't there some so, so study from like South a, Korea or yeah, something? Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of studies that that have shown um, higher rates of myopia. Oh, um, as with, with more time indoors because you're not looking far right. away you're not, as much, like off yeah, into the, the yeah, distance. Yeah. yeah, so there is um, a lot of the the big studies actually on myopia come out of Asian countries um, that where their kids are spending a lot of time at a desk reading on a computer, just basically really using their near vision to an extreme degree and less time. In fact, I think they've had to, you know, there's, there's been efforts to change the the laws and rules like forcing, right. Like you have to go outside a certain amount of time, spend less time inside versus outside to be able to, to kind of relax their accommodation and, so, so right. here's my well, and didn't Benjamin Franklin invent the spectacles? Bifocals. Bifocals. Oh, okay. Bifocals. Well, I'm just wondering if that. I mean, that's a correlation, <laughs> right? If yeah. those came about about the same time as electricity. Well, so. I just got a new alert on my phone that told me I was holding it too close to my face and to hold it farther away to reduce <laughs> eye strain. Chris, you, you can't. You can't talk on the phone. It, like doesn't, this. it doesn't work right here. No, but so it was more. It was. It wanted me to have like my elbow like outstretched to look at it. I wonder if, you know, before they institute that alert versus after they institute that alert, if you have, yeah. you know, differences in, in eye strain problems. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Interesting. Well, um, we have probably lost all but the nerdiest of our listeners I, I know, exactly. at this point. <laughs> I, I want to, before we let you go, I just want to uh, end with one more question for Chris. Mm. Um, please tell me about the time you forgot your pants on oh, the God. first day okay. of your OBGYN rotation. <laughs> first of all, where, because we both did yeah. that rotation. Where were you? So our medical school, Dartmouth Medical School is not, like, we don't have a huge hospital. So we, a lot right. of us would go do rotations elsewhere. I was at Hartford Hospital in Hartford, Connecticut, which is mm. drivable from New Hampshire, but you would you would go for the week and then go home on the weekend. So you had to pack a week's worth of clothes. So I go down for my first day, I packed, um, they had a staying in like uh, an old nurse's college that had been converted into call rooms. And I'm staying there with with another med student. Um, he's, he's a neurosurgeon now, Sebastian Rubino. Sebastian, if you're hearing this, you're a good guy in this story. So uh, we like just hang out in our, you know, jeans from the day before, go to bed, wake up, we're getting ready on your first day of the rotation, you should look good. So I'm like getting a tie on and all that. And I'm like, Oh, no, like I packed, I packed a shirt, I packed everything. I did not pack any pants. (laughs) All I had were like the dirty jeans I was wearing from the day before. Oh, my God. And Sebastian is like, uh, do you want to borrow a pair of mine? 
which was a really nice thought, except that like I, I'm significantly heavier than he was and his pants didn't make it past my like calves. So that just wasn't an option. And so we start roaming the hallways and there's like a clean ish looking pair of scrubs in the corner of somewhere um, uh -huh. that I'm like, well, it's either this or jeans and I guess I'll go with the scrubs. So then we go in for our first day and I'm there in scrubs and he's there in a, in a like nice tie and, and jacket. And the first thing they said, it's like, all right, you guys got to go to OR training. So Chris, you're all set, but Sebastian, you're going to have to go change. <laughs> oh, uh, no. I, I went and changed out. with him and got a fresh pair, but uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, little did any patient know later that day that I forgot my pants that morning. Oh, I can, goodness. I can feel the, like the, like the anxiety, like the terrible, that feeling that you get when you, when you realized Just, you forgot oh, your pants. No. Oh yeah. my God. Yeah. And then I went, went on a shopping spree at, uh, at Marshall's <laughs> that evening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I did a similar thing. If it makes you feel better. Not long ago, actually, I went on a, a trip for work. Yeah maybe like a year or two ago. And I had, when I was packing, I had little piles of things laid out. I forgot to grab my pants pile and oh, I didn't yeah. discover that until I was already there. <laughs> so I had to have him overnight yeah, them. That's exactly what happened. So and I, and I got home and there was my pants pile right on the yep. foot of my bed <laughs> right laughing there. at me. Exactly. Oh man. Oh, happens to the best. Well, best. next time you guys have you on, we'll have Bapu tell us his story about losing his pants. Exactly. Sure yeah. He's got one at some point. Well, thank you guys so much for coming on. This is really a lot of fun. And um yeah, just fascinating stuff. Keep up the awesome work. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. So we'll be right back with um some listener stories. Hey Kristen. Yeah. Our anniversary is coming up. Yes, that's right. You know what I got you? What? A bouquet. Oh, you shouldn't have. They're Diva Dex mites. That's why you and shouldn't look have. Look how cute those faces are and uh, the little legs. It is kind of cute, I have to admit. You know what these things do? What? They cause you to have like itchy, red, irritated eyelids. That's not cute. Well, it's a disease. It's actually a pretty common disease called Demodex blepharitis. Yeah. How do you know if you have it? What does it look like? Well, you, you end up with this crusty, flaky buildup on your eyelashes. And it's pretty easy to see if you just look at That's them under a microscope. Pretty gross, though. Yeah, yeah. So... Well, you don't get grossed out. Okay. You got to get checked out. Okay, that's ah, a fair yeah. point. Yeah. You got to right. go in. You gotta, right. and, and, and we'll look at your eyelids. You just go to eyelidcheck.com to get more information. All okay. right. That's E-Y-E-L-I-D-check.com to get more information about Demodex blepharitis. These cute little guys. Yeah, it's the most romantic go. anniversary gift that's, you've ever given me. You're welcome. All right, we have a fan story from Delia. Delia says, I was listening to your podcast with Dr. Soderdahl just now, and it reminded me of a funny urology story, uh, uh, in quotes, urology story <laughs> uh <-oh. laughs> that happened in my work. I'm a Dutch veterinarian, and when this happened, I was on call for the weekend. On Saturday, someone called me that while they were walking their shepherd, the dog had an unfortunate accident, and instead of jumping over a fence, he landed on the fence with his lower abdomen. Ow. The dog seemed like he was in a little bit of pain, but overall wasn't in bad shape, except that he was peeing blood. Ugh. Not good. I had to come in and examine the dog, trying to assess the source of the bleed as well as the extent. He was a young, excitable dog, as shepherds tend to be, and while I was examining his penis, by manipulating the penis and pulling back the prepuce, he gave That's us a, a little. Word. He gave us a little surprise. 
and a little puddle of liquid landed on the exam table. No blood in the liquid, and the owner was relieved. That looks a lot better. I then had to tell him, that's not urine. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, no. So, uh, Delia gives us a little background. <laughs> Apparently, male dogs can be quite easily aroused. <laughs> and some dogs only need a little bit of pressure on the right spot to ejaculate. Did you know that? I happily we did not know that. We do. Yep. In the end, the dog was fine, and the owner went home relieved, albeit a little bit embarrassed. <laughs> and I had yet another oh. addition to my funny animal penis stories. Oh Imagine having more than one of those. Right? <laughs> Veterinarians mean... must have a lot. Thank you, Delia. That was <laughs> I, I'm so glad I didn't read that ahead of time, and I just read that <laughs> live for the first time. That was great. Send us your stories, knock, knock, high at human-content.com. And they can involve ejaculate. It's, a, it's, it's totally up to you, whatever you want. Well, what a fun conversation. Yeah, that was fun. Does that make you want to do research? I've, I've been there, done that. I'm, yeah. I'm good. Yeah, that's like fun research, though. Sure. Maybe they just make it sound really <laughs> yep, fun. Yep, that is what's happening. Is that it? Is yes. that it? That, that's, they make it sound that's like really exciting? That's the part of research is when you the get cool findings, right? right? But like okay. everything that leads up to that, it just made my soul wither and die. Oh, man. Yeah, that's why I don't do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, I definitely want to check out their book, though. Yeah, like, for sure. Random that Acts really of Medicine. That sounds awesome. Uh, and let us know what you guys think. Um, and if you have any guest ideas or ideas for games, we ran out of time. We didn't do a game today, yeah. but it's okay. It was, we had a lot to talk about. That's right. You can email us, knockknockhi at human-content.com. Hang out with us on all our social media platforms. You can also, did Chris tell me I wasn't, I used to not be as funny as I am now? He said you did a stand-up <laughs> set that bombed, I think is what he said. <laughs> I think I heard that. I That's, think so. I'll take it. I'll take it I mean, the sure. Any, any comedian was going to Absolutely. improve over time. You know, I mean, like, you know, you get better. Yeah. You get better. Um, well, you can hang out with us in our Human Content Podcast family on Instagram and TikTok at Human Content Pods. Thanks to all the wonderful listeners leaving feedback and reviews. Not just any reviews awesome reviews mm. that's right if you subscribe and comment on your favorite podcasting app or on youtube we can give you a shout out like emilio g on spotify said listening to this from mexico i love your content and it makes med school more fun to be in mm. oh thank you emilio uh that's very kind of you good luck to you on your future career as an ophthalmologist <laughs> and um also full video episodes of this podcast drop every week on youtube at the glock and flecken we also have a patreon lots of cool perks bonus episodes or react to medical shows and movies hang out with other members of our knock knock high family it's not a member community anymore it's a family we're that's a family a, that's a little red flag for me you know it's like in, in the workplaces where they say they're a family that's like code for we're dysfunctional like a cult kind of yeah we're not a cult <laughs> we're a normal functioning group of people and we'd love to have you in our non-cult jeez knock knock high don't become Join. a salesperson <laughs> don't quit your day job early ad free episode access interactive q a live stream events and much more patreon.com slash glockenflecken or go to glockenflecken.com not a cult speaking of <laughs> patreon community perks new member shout out caitlin e peter s Medical Meg. Ooh, we got a Medical Ooh, Meg. I like that name. And Genevieve F. Uh, welcome, all. Thank you all for joining. Our... I love a good, a good like, alliteration. That's, That's right. That's a double letter alliteration, That's good. too. Medical it's a Meg. Meh, meh. Medical Meg. Uh, shout out to all the Jonathans. We have 
Patrick, Lucia C, Sharon S, Omar, Edward K, Stephen G, Jonathan F, Marion W, Mr. Granddaddy, Caitlin C, Brianna L, Dr. J, Rossbox, Chaver W, Leah D, K, L, Rachel L, Ann P, Keith G, J, J, H, Abby H, Derek N, Jonathan A, Mark, Mary H, Susanna F, Mohammed K, Aviga, Parker, Medical Meg, Bubbly Salt, and Pink, Pink Macho. Macho. A virtual head nod to you all. Patreon roulette, random shout out to someone on the emergency medicine level of our non-cult. Shout out to Chris <laughs> M for being a patron. And thank you all for listening. We're your hosts, Will and Kristen Plannery, also known as the Glockum Flockin. Special thanks to our guest today, Dr. Chris Warsham. And Dr. who what now? Dr. Chris Wars- Warsham. <laughs> Warsham. Warsham. Chris Warsham? Chris, Chris Warsham. <laughs> Warsham. I said right there. The pronunciation yes, right that, there. Yes, that's correct, but you said Krish. <laughs> oh, Krish. <laughs> Chris Warsham. And Dr. Anupam Bapu Jenna. Uh, and uh, I got that one right, too. Our executive <laughs> producers are Will Flannery, Kristen Flannery, Aaron Corney, Grob Goldman, Grob, <laughs> Grob Roldman, Grob Roldman <laughs> and Shanti Brooke. Our editor and engineer, Jason Portizo. Our music is by Omer Binsvi. To learn about our knock knock guys. Program disclaimer ethics policy, uh, submission verification, licensing terms, and HIPAA release terms. Go to glogginplugin.com or reach out to us, knock knock at human content.com with any questions, concerns, or fun medical puns. Oh, wait, we can't finish because uh, Shanti had a joke we have to tell. Okay. We're going to save it for the very last. Do, okay. we have a, do we have a medical pun? This is a medical pun okay. from Shanti. <clears throat> what part of the body dies last? What? The pupils. They dilate. <laughs> knock Knock High is a human content production. Knock Knock, goodbye. Hey, Kristen. Yeah. You know, sometimes I come home from work and I just like feel really run down. Yeah, because, you know, despite popular opinion, you actually do see a fair number of patients every day. <laughs> I do. I, my clinics are pretty busy, but I'm not the only physician that feels that way. Mm-hmm. So many people feel overwhelmed and burdened so much that work-life balance feels impossible. Yeah, nobody gets into this job for the paperwork. Most people. No, definitely not me. Mm. And uh, But let me tell you about the Nuance Dragon Ambient Experience, or DAX for short. Tell me. This is AI-powered ambient technology. It sits there in the room with you. It's transforming healthcare with clinical documentation that writes itself. Ooh, that sounds nice. It's like having a Jonathan there. Yeah, it's perfect. I got, and I got some stats for you. Ooh, I love stats. You're going to love this. Seven minutes is saved per encounter by reducing clinical documentation time by 50%. Seven minutes. That's an entire surgery for you. Yeah, that's what DAX can do for you. And uh, across all specialties, 70% of physicians report a reduction in feelings of burnout and fatigue. That's pretty incredible. It really is cool technology. Uh, To learn more about the Nuance Dragon Ambient Experience or DAX, visit nuance.com slash discover DAX. That's N-U-A-N-C-E dot com slash discover D-A-X.